skeletal forms, burn toxic green, vacant eyes, lit with everlasting hellfire. Ho, 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 and Merry Christmas. Welcome to <laughs> the Christmas episode of Let's Watch Scary Movies. I we- love when you start us off with ho, ho, ho. <laughs> <laughs> it's Christmas time, baby. I'm it feeling Christmas time. It's Christmas time. We're here. We're going to talk to you about scary movies. I promise I haven't been drinking because it's only like 10 a.m. this time, not 11. But I feel, <laughs> I think I'm just drunk on festive spirit, Caitlin. How about you? Yeah, all the time, always. <laughs> I like, and I like that 11 a.m. is the threshold for drinking. Like, on well, Christmas. It's not, oh, on Christmas, it's like, oh, you're no, no, late. No, no. Christmas 11. time. Christmas day, 8 a.m. <laughs> Anything goes, yeah. If, I, if I'm awake, I'm allowed to drink. <laughs> I find that to be true when I have spent Christmases with your family. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like, wake up, have a Prosecco. <laughs> I never forget. I'll never forget the time. It was like my first Christmas with you guys. And I ended up, I forget, I forget you guys had gone out somewhere and I stayed in with your mom and she like, she was drinking at the time and she got out the sherry. <laughs> I'd never had it before. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yes, now it, I understand. It is a, a family <laughs> tradition for the women in my family on, on Christmas, just to get absolutely ratted on, on uh, <laughs> Harvey's Bristol cream, which I, I can't stand it. So I don't drink it, but yeah, it's definitely an acquired taste. It's very sweet. Yeah, um, it's not my thing at all. But yeah, but Merry Christmas, listeners, because Merry it Christmas. Is, it's Christmas week. And as in keeping with our recent spate of festive films, we are concluding this festive month with none other than Black Christmas, the 1974 version. Don't even talk to me about the remakes. I'm not going. Yeah, there. See, I got confused because I haven't seen the remakes, but. I remember there being a remake with um, the girl, Michelle Trackenberg, who was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer um, as Buffy's little sister. And I remember oh. that. And then when I was looking at everything, it's like 2019. I'm like, wait a minute. And then last night when I was trying to find it, I'm like, Andy, how many versions of this are there? Because I've only watched the original. And yes, I have discovered there are three. There are three. There's one from like 2012, maybe. No, maybe it earlier. Was two, it was 2006. 2006 yeah because you know actually i remember seeing posters and adverts for the 2006 version in the student union at middlesex university and that's so, where yes. yeah that was a long time ago that was a long um, time that's where we, we went. are being joined then- for this festive episode by one of my cats casper in his uh festive collar so if there are any weird noises it's because he's basically trying to rub on the microphone right now and he's just knocked it over uh, i'm gonna move him come on bubba <laughs> oh he just wants to be involved he watched the film with me last night as well he has things to say <laughs> he has to contribute hey there is a cat in the film <laughs> there is he causes lots of problems he does <laughs> claude claude the cat claude the cat so yes today we are talking about the 1974 black christmas directed by bob clark Which can I just interject here? Because Bob Clark, I'm thinking, why does his name sound so familiar? Do a little quick Google search and I see. He has the best career. (laughs) But A Christmas Story is massive in the States. I don't 
think it's very popular over here. Yeah, I don't think cool. most people know it, but it is a institute, a Christmas institution in the U.S. It used to be there was a TV channel called TNT, and I believe it was TNT, and they would do 24 hours of a Christmas story every <laughs> single year. So they, it would just play back to back to back to back to back. And so I've seen it umpteen times, and I saw it. I'm like, Bob Clark, is that the same Bob Clark? It yep. is indeed. So clearly he's a Christmas fan. So Black Christmas was his third third or fourth feature film, but his third straight horror in a row. So he started mm. with, he had, I think he had a film before this in like the 60s maybe, but then he had a horror film called Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. Yes, I saw that comedy yeah. horror, my yeah, favourite in 72. And then yeah. in 74, he released Dead of Night and Black Christmas in the same year. Um, but then, you know, he's got a few other films and then he goes on in the 80s to Porky's and Porky's 2. <laughs> Which I've never seen, but I remember like growing up, going to Blockbuster, you would always see the cover of this film. And I remember thinking that film looks very naughty. Yes. And then <laughs> have you seen it? Story. Have you seen those? I've seen the first one. But when I was a teenager, I think like you said, at, you know, Blockbuster or something, I think it was one that we picked up for a sleepover. And then towards the end of his career, Baby Geniuses. <laughs> no, was that him? Yep, that was him. 1999, Bob Clark. <laughs> what a career. Yep. <laughs> also, can I just say, RIP Blockbuster. And RIP Bob Clark. Mm. While we're doing our RIPs, I feel like we have to do a special shout out to... Uh, Anne Rice. Our homegirl, Anne Rice, who passed away this week. We're both very, very sad about this. Um, I actually... Like, as soon as I read it, because my best friend in the U.S. messaged me because she and I were massive Anne Rice fans growing up. I've read almost everything. I think, aside from maybe three or four books, like her Christian books, I've read everything. I was at a football game, and I actually, like, started to cry. I had to rein it in because I was at a a football game. (laughs) But I just, I was so shocked by it because I know it said she was 80, but I feel like she's so prolific in terms of talking to her fans and interacting and engaging she's all over twitter all over facebook the people of the page blah 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 and so i just think it was completely unexpected she wasn't unwell you know that i know of nothing like that so she had a stroke didn't she yeah but it was and so she passed away from complications of it so definite shout out to anna rice I actually would be keen to talk more about her in the future because I feel like yeah. she was massively influential. Maybe in the new year we can do a, a bit of an Anne Rice episode because, yeah, obviously there are, uh, you know, this interview with the vampire and, and Queen of the Damned. She has influenced a lot of a lot of horror as well. So, yeah, I think definitely. And particularly as a woman in horror, I yeah. just think she's, you know, yeah, massively influential. So, absolutely. Yes. Having said all of that, we'll get back yeah, to Black let's Christmas. Let's get back to Black Christmas. Shall we just go straight in? Yeah, let's yeah. do it. I mean, we we'll say spoiler alert, but you know, this film came out in 1974, so where the fuck have you been if you've not seen it? <laughs> spoiler alert and trigger warning abound, because obviously there is discussion of abortion and... Rape. Rape and other, like, violence against women, so just trigger warning for the whole thing. Now- Time for a breakdown. This film was actually inspired by the urban legends of The Babysitter and the Man Upstairs, which they've done a few films like When a Stranger Calls and this kind of urban legend about the calls are coming from inside the house. The house. Was this yeah. the first film, though? Do you know? I don't know, because the original When a Stranger Calls, 
which I think is also based on the same urban legend. I remember back from like when we discussed this film back in my film studies days, because obviously it's a very, very important film in regards to horror cinema. And I remember, I, I, I'm sure I remember being like, this is the first time we get that kind of, the calls are coming from inside the house in a, in a film. Obviously the urban legend, I think the urban legend started in like the 60s. Yeah, I, I, I've, read, I've definitely read somewhere that this is the first time we see it in a film. Which for us, of our generation, sounds crazy because how many times did you hear that story? And things when we were, you know, in the nineties, like but I remember the first time babysitting and and the phone rang and I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> but I think anytime you have these sort of classic films, whether we're talking about Halloween or we're talking about Black Christmas or we're talking about any other kind of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I think a lot of times we have to remember that when we've seen this film, it's since been it's influenced so many other things we've it's already been the collective unconscious by this point by like exactly and so I, that i think detracts from some of the fear that it would be instilling in an audience if you were seeing and encountering these things for the very first time so i yeah. always try and bear that in mind when i'm watching these classic films like this yeah you know i love the opening of this film it opens it's a dark night and there's this big sorority house and it's got you know, Christmas lights and you can see that there's like people inside and you've got Silent Night playing um, like just over over the, over the top. Yeah. On a still, it's a still shot of the yeah, house. Yeah, still shot of the house. And then we get the point of view shot, which if you go back to our, Hall our Halloween episode, you know just how much I love these. <laughs> and you've got... So if this episode was going to be a drinking game, you would have to drink every time we mention how much influence this film has had on Halloween. Yes. So drink now, because yeah, here you've got, your first <laughs> you've got your first person perspective from the killer, which in Halloween, we did talk about this, how you get it in the opening and that's the only time you get it. And this film, you get it throughout. Yeah. And I find that, I find that so creepy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you get him and you get the breathing, Yeah. you know, and I love Here, the fact it's not like, you know, obviously when we have, even in the opening of Halloween, when you have Michael Myers as a, as a young boy, it's very calm. You know, the breathing's very calm. It's all very kind of still. Whereas this guy snorts at one point. <laughs> <when he's> like, <laughs> like, it's not, it's not the same. Um, he sounds he, constantly like he has a deviated septum or something. Yeah, yeah. He's like, breathing isn't quite right. And yeah, he's, he's watching the house. And then you see one of the girls, I think it's Barb, at the door, um, who looks outside and she's like, who left the goddamn front door open and closes the door? Mm -hmm. And we go back to the point of view of like this, this, this viewer, this voyeur. And from a filmmaking point of view, this next shot is amazing because basically he climbs the trellis mm -hmm. and climbs into the house. But this is the 70s. Steady cams were only just around. I'm pretty sure Halloween was one of the first films that used like these new cameras the whole way through. So this is before that. The cameras were huge and heavy and not very portable. So the poor camera guy, I've forgotten his name, but I remember watching him once in a documentary talking about this. He basically did an amazing job of having this really massive, heavy camera strapped to him. Yeah, it was wonder I was going to ask you if you knew about that because it almost looks like he's cuz you really only see the one hand on the trellis. Yeah. So I almost was thinking is that because they're holding yeah, the camera? Cuz the cameras were huge and so heavy. 
so to yeah. such a good shot like it, it it you know it's it's fairly smooth it's not mm-hmm. you know it doesn't look like some guys like trying to winch a camera up a, up a trellis like it's a great shot and yeah you guy, don't get that at all like yeah it is and um and he climbs up and hides in the attic and then you're kind of introduced to all the girls in the sorority house or at least the kind of main characters so you've got barb the sassy the sassy one played by margot kidder yeah. um and then you've got obviously jess who is our leading lady and that is played by the absolutely stunning yeah it who, took ages i was watching it and i was like where do i know her from the whole way through and she's got that weird accent which apparently she's british but it just sounds very strange i'm not sure where <laughs> what part well that's so her mother was Argent argentinian right but okay. she did but she did grow up mainly in london so she yeah. does i know what you mean especially very strange accents because they're I meant to be in canada i think they're meant to be in canada and it's filmed in canada but it's, it's meant to be America. America because okay. they do that thing where they put uh, like American flags everywhere. Like the police cars, the police station, all the buildings yeah. around town, there's American <laughs> flags everywhere. And it's like, okay, then maybe try and if you, you know, obviously you're filming in Canada, that's fine. You're trying to make it look like America and yet they're all a boot <laughs> and they have like, they're playing hockey and they're driving around on snowmobiles. Like, the hockey thing is the dead giveaway like they had to include a scene of someone playing yeah. hockey you, he could have been anywhere he could have been yeah. in the library that guy yeah, but no, 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 he's playing, playing hockey he's playing hockey he's a goalie <laughs> yeah and then yeah and then you're right there was i think chris the same ho- hockey playing one i mean he's, my he's gosh the townie he, he's not a so he's his- oh okay i guess his canadian accent is he was giving me like kids in the hall vibes yeah so but yeah we have the girl so we have we have Bob. but she she also olivia hussey played i think in one of the best versions of romeo and juliet on film that there ever was until Bowser lerman came along was the 1960 whatever it was version 68 maybe version of romeo and juliet and i remember watching that in high school when we were studying Romeo and Juliet, that's yep, the film same. that you showed us. And she, and it's I mean, it's really good. It is amazing. But, you know, there's a the whole thing where 15-year-old, she was only 15 when she filmed that and she does get her boobs out. Um, because, you know, fil- film laws about minors in film weren't really around until... They didn't really exist then, yeah. yeah, yeah. The 90s, <laughs> I don't think. And even then they were a bit shaky. But yeah, and I also remembered... It wasn't until later on in the film, you know, when she's like shouting for what one of the other girls is called Phil and she's shouting for Phil up the stairs. She's like, Phil, Phil. And then I remembered where I recognise her from. She plays, you know, Bill in It's. The main yes. character, the main boy. <gasps> it's, it's his, his wife. wife. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, in the original, in the yeah. original TV yeah, series. Yeah, in the Tim yeah. Curry yeah, TV, yeah. yeah. Because she's like, Phil, I'm like, why is that? I've got like such deja vu. And I know I've seen this film, but it's not from this film. And that's why. Because in the film, she's shouting Bill and Phil. Yes. (laughs) And yeah, she is gorgeous. She's stunning. Yeah. She's got this perfect hair. Oh my gosh. Such perfect 70s hair. It looks like she literally like straightened it with an iron and not a hair iron, but like a clothes iron. Yeah. My mom said that's how they used to do it. Silkiest, shiniest thing ever. Yeah. I know. Stunning Stunning hair. And I actually went down a rabbit hole when I was kind of doing research for this and I found her Instagram. She's still gorgeous. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's she's that classic, you know, she's timeless. The Olivia Hussey um, Appreciation Society yep. will now adjourn. Yep. <laughs> so. um, we have Phil, 
Phyllis. She's yeah, she's lovely. We yes. have so we've got Barb, we've got Jess, we've got Phyllis. We've got oh, and then we have Claire. Claire's Claire, like a good girl. The, the professional virgin Barb refers to her as yes, very sweet and and very kind of virginal and, and innocent. But yeah, so they're all in this sorority house. Barb gets a phone call from her mother. And then almost immediately after that phone call ends, they get the first obscene phone call of the film. And these are so creepy, I feel. Have you ever had an obscene phone call? I have, yeah. And I mean, it was was a long time ago. Yeah, 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 same. I mean, I don't answer the phone now (laughs) if I don't recognize the number. (laughs) So I, I, I think I think these kind of obscene phone calls are, are now uh, they've been replaced by dick pics, haven't they? Really? Uh, <laughs> that is so true. Good call. Yeah. They have. Yeah. People don't phone strangers anymore. No one has a house landline. We had a landline. Me and my husband had a landline for seven years, and I never knew the phone number. Like, yeah, I know. I ha- I had a landline back when I was married, and that was so that I could make international phone calls. And then yes, ever since- I tried to call you yesterday and accidentally called your, your Caitlin home phone. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, what is this? Oh, it's still on your phone. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah I have no idea what the number was. Do I call I, anyone? I <laughs> so I never changed my contacts. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think, yeah, you're right. If you can't moan down the phone, then send a picture of your genitals. Yeah, exactly. And I've had, you know, one or two back, like you said, you know, a long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago. time you're like, ooh, that's a bit weird, like someone breathing or moaning. But these are just something else. Yeah, you've got shouting, laughing, pig snorts. Yeah. And they're talking about... Like, it sounds like a woman, and then it's it's a man, and then it's like a little kid. And, yeah, it starts off where it's just like breathing and then moaning, like someone's having, you know, touching themselves and having a, a bit of a fun time. And then, yeah, and then they just starts like screeching. And the girls even say to each other, they're, um, they're like, oh, it's him again, the Mona. And yeah, then it sounds like a pig. And then he starts saying things. And like, it takes a little while until you can understand what he's saying. And he mm-hmm. starts going, pretty pink cunt, pretty pink cunt, let me lick it. And then at this point, Barb's just like, yeah, fuck this guy. And just starts like having a go at him on the phone and riling him up. It was giving me sort of like exorcist vibes, yeah. When, you know, when that he started talking whole, about, yeah, definitely like possession. And of- then bear in mind that all of this is going on while very softly and beautifully in the background, you've got Hark the Herald Angels sing, yeah, playing yeah. in the background. Because I do think one thing that he really does, Bob Clark, is juxtapose these very beautiful, very often religious Christmas songs with horrifying scenes. And again, this has been, since been done many times, but I think this is one of the first times that you've really got that. And it's super effective. Absolutely. I have a, I have a, a, lot, um, a couple of notes actually about the two, two things stuck out to me in this film. I mean, amongst many other things, but one is the lighting, just yep. how they really play with light and darkness and shadow. Again, really effective. And then the sounds, the sound, not just the, the, the soundtrack, but the sound effects, you very often got howling wind outside and then you've got like a crackling fire in the, in the background and it really sets the scene, whatever that scene may be, you know, to give you this feeling that it's meant to be this sort of cozy Christmas time. And instead you've got these horrible deaths happening. So I just, I really love that. Yeah, the sound is brilliant. 
Um, and yeah, Barb's on the Barb's on the phone to the to the Mona. She says that line. She's like, "Oh, uh, go stick your tongue in a wall socket, then you'll get a charge." And yeah. they hang up. And Good one, Barb. And and pure little innocent Claire, he's like, "Oh, you really shouldn't provoke him like that because uh, he's like, I'm going to kill you to Barb." And yeah. And uh, little Claire's like, "Oh, you shouldn't. You really shouldn't provoke him like that." And she's like, "Oh, I'm from the city. You know, I get two of those a day back home." And and Claire's like, "Yeah, but that that girl in the town was raped the other day." And a line that has not aged well at all. And to be fair, probably wasn't was never really appropriate. But Barb just turns around and goes, "Oh, darling, you can't rape a townie." Yes, yes, that line is. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh god. <laughs> oh Barb. Oh Barb. Yeah, she is Barb. Be, uh, quite provocative, I think, with with how she with what she says, and and Claire gets upset and and runs off to her room because she to pack because she's going home in the morning for Christmas, and the other girls are like, Barb, why do you have to be so mean to her? You know, she already doesn't really fit in. And that's when she get calls it. Oh, I I can spot a professional virgin when I see one. Now, what are your thoughts on this, Jenny? The fact that the virgin in this case is one of the first ones. To I die. have a whole thing written about this because. Oh, I bet you do. <laughs> yeah. Before we start recording, we were talking about notes. I'm like, oh, I have I have eleven pages of notes from watching this film last night. Oh my gosh, our editor is gonna hate us. It's Christmas. I'll buy him. We have a lot of thoughts. Sorry, yeah, man. We have a lot of thoughts. We have a lot of thoughts. I'll try. Yeah. I'll try and keep them brief. But yes. So, well, so you do get the the house mother. So this is very common in sororities, especially back in the day, to have like sort of an adult present in the house. The house mother. The house mother in this instance, Mrs. Mrs. Mackey. They call Mrs. Her? Mac. Mrs. I think Mac. Her full yeah. Name is Mrs. McHenry, but they call her Mrs. Mac. Yeah, it is I McHenry, and they all call her. her. She, I do love her too, and I do think it's sort of funny because usually house mothers bring uh, sort of some levity to the house, yeah. and she seems to kind of just be like, "Have at it, girls!" You know, there's yeah. like naked posters everywhere, and yeah, but then there's things like when she comes home because she's been Christmas shopping, and and the party they've all got their boyfriends there, and she's like, "Right, come on, guys, all, all men out the house now." So she does, she does like keep kick the men out. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's a bit of responsibility there. Yeah, she is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she's she's just so funny. So it's like she sends all the girls to bed, and she goes into 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 like the little library room, and she opens up the the bookcase, and she's like B for booze, B is for booze. And she opens up the book, and she's got like this little bottle of like whiskey or something stashed. And every room in the house she goes into, she's got booze stashed. And I'm like, and yeah. she's just drinking it. She's just glugging it straight yeah, out the from bottle. the bottle. Yeah. She's hardcore. Yes, I think you probably have to be if you lived if you were responsible for a bunch of college girls in a sorority house. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, and this is where we and then we see our first first death of the film. Poor Claire is upstairs in her room, and Mrs. Max Mackie's cat Claude is in her room, and she gives him cuddles and um sends him out, and then she's like packing, and she hears a noise in in her closet, and she thinks it's the cat. Um. And there's no response. So she goes in and she has all these like plastic like dress bags, I guess. Mm-hmm. Clothes garment in. bags. Yeah, like yeah. garment bags. Like, they're just like plastic bags, basically, hanging up in her wardrobe. And as she goes in, our killer kind of, you never really see him. 
he kind of comes forward with this thing and basically suffocates her with the uh, with the bag. And I think if I'm understanding it correctly, there's almost like a, a hatch yeah, in a- the closet that goes into the attic. Is that right? It's in the I'm closet, though. Sure. But- I think because the hatch is in the hallway. Is it is in the upstairs hallway to, to the attic? Because you see it quite often. Um, okay. But we see when the, the girls, when Barb is on the phone to her mum at the very beginning, after we've seen, you know, this, this person creep into the house, he's watching Barb. So he's come out of the attic at this point and obviously crept into Claire's room and hidden in the cupboard. And yeah, she gets suffocated, poor thing. And yeah, it is, I mean, I think we'll talk, we'll go back to the whole like tropes of, of survive, female survivors in, in slasher films at the end, because there's some bits that kind of all ties into, I think, as we, as we go through the film. Um, sure, okay, yeah. We'll come back to that, but yeah, it is, it is very interesting. The professional virgin is the first to die. <laughs> yeah, and and I do think he sort of Bob Clark sort of rebelled against some of these tropes and the choices that he made. Well, to no, some extent, they didn't exist. So this was the this, beginning. So, so 1974, Black Christmas is the first slasher film. Halloween was the second one, obviously in 1978, mm-hmm. and a lot of the final girl tropes were taken from Halloween, not from Black Christmas, because in interviews, I think we might have even touched on it when we did um, the Halloween episode, how like Jamie Lee Curtis and things were saying they never intended that to be the message. The message wasn't, right. you know, the virgin survives. If you have sex, mm-hmm. you die. That was just other films after that, like Friday the 13th. They took that and built on it. They, they kind of took it and ran with it. And that's where we get all these final girl, you know, all the, all the rules, so to speak. You know, you can't have sex, you can't do drugs. None of that existed to begin with. It was never intended to be, to kind of be what they wanted. So yeah, it's the, the, these kind of tropes of, of women in slasher films didn't exist because this was the very first. Love it. Yes. Professor Jenny, <laughs> here to set us straight. <laughs> So yes, yeah, so you got the first death, and then you've got sort of oh, then you jump to the party with the underprivileged children. Is that right? Yeah, kind of. We we kind of see we kind of get this really creepy bit where so the house mother's like brushing her teeth, and she's got booze hidden in the toilet cistern. Um, oh, the cistern, and the toilet cistern. Somehow yeah. the the killer has managed to get Claire's body upstairs into the attic, and she's in a rocking chair. And she's rocking and you have this really creepy like lullaby song that the killer's singing. And I think it's the killer singing it. And it's like, gone to fetch a rabbit skin to keep his baby in. And it's all just really, really creepy. And yeah, then we, then we flip. Oh, daddy's gone a hunting. That's That's it. Yes. And she's still got this kind of plastic. Oh yeah. She's still wrapped in the garment bag. bag. Yeah. Like on her face and it's altogether very very creepy yeah it's not very nice and yeah then we then we go to the the, the party that um the sorority and their kind of and the and the frat guys they're doing this uh party for underprivileged kids where one of the guys is dressed up like santa and i have to laugh because he's basically going like ho 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 shit ho 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 fuck fuck yeah, yeah in front of the kids and <laughs> like, how much longer do i have to do this yeah barb's just like drinking in front of the kids 
Oh, giving the kid alcohol. Giving the, yeah, giving the kids like wine and things. She's absolutely trashed. And then we meet Claire's dad. Mr. Harrison. Harrison, that's it. Who's or Mr. Up, Harrison. Or Mr. Harrison. He's turned up to uh, meet Claire because he's taking her home for Christmas and she doesn't turn up. So he's like wandering around the university and he goes to this um, party and she's not there. And they're like, oh, she's probably back at the house. So he goes to the house and he meets the house mother who's like, no, she's not here. She's probably over, at, you know, at this other place. And he's like looking around Claire's bedroom where she's got, you know, pictures of, of naked people and things. It's like, I am very disappointed with this atmosphere. I shall be doing something about this. I didn't send my daughter here to be drinking and picking up boys. <laughs> That's exactly what you do when you go to college, yeah. quite well, literally. Is, um, so Mrs. Matt convinces um, Claire's dad to give her a lift to, uh, to town where she thinks Claire's going to be. But as she's getting her stuff together, she hears the cat meowing. And uh, the cat is basically locked in the attic with, with the dead girl. And she's trying to find it. And she's ranting to, her, to herself about, about, you know, Mr. Harrison. And she's like, oh, it's not, what do they expect for me being responsible for the morals of all these girls? And then I couldn't quite hear it, but I swear she says, these girls would have sex with the Leaning Tower of Pisa if they could get on it. <laughs> I missed that best yeah, she line. She said it really quietly. Line. I'm not sure. I'm after checks. Maybe I've got that wrong, but it was definitely something along those lines. And <laughs> <laughs> um, that was brilliant. So yeah, we have that. And then we go back to Jess. And Jess is ringing her boyfriend, Peter. Um, you know, I will say just really quickly about that scene. And I think <laughs> that scene and even the scene with like the kids and the, and the Santa yeah. at the, like the, the underprivileged kids kind of Christmas soiree. These are, these are all sort of attempts at comedy. And there's a few moments dotted throughout the film where the, he, I think Bob Clark is kind of bringing in the, this d- dark humor. For me, I don't know that it lands. I think some, I think Mrs. Mack brings some comedy to it. Um, without, she lightens it up a bit, for yeah, sure. Without yeah. being over the top. There are some, yeah, there are a few lines that are dotted in, especially, I think they give some to Barb. And because it's clear that she's actually very unhappy and, and she's kind of drunk, it's just sad more than anything. So, yeah, I, know I was thinking more like this, the fellatio scene. Oh, and the yeah, 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 yeah. Like, which we'll get to, but I mean, things like, even some of this, like, you've got Mrs. Mack, like, holding her hand up on sort of the naked yeah, parts of the covering, poster. Um, she's covering yeah. a naked and I, arm from... Yeah, from and maybe dad. it's just me, but I don't know that it... I don't know. It, it made I don't know me handy laugh, but yeah. I know, I know what you mean. It wasn't, it wasn't really necessary. It didn't really provide much. I think it might have because of then you have like some of the lines from Mrs. Mack when she's talking to herself, it kind yeah. of does, it, it, it kind of works that way. And to an extent, I almost find Claire's dad, like so the way he acts and reacts to things, a little bit farcical in, in some respects. And I wasn't, it didn't, that, that didn't really feel natural to me, like his responses to, to the fact that his daughter is missing and, and things like, I don't know. I wasn't. Yeah. Agree. Agree. But you know, in the grand scheme of things, it didn't detract from the film at all. So it didn't detract. I agree, but it, it did. I know I noticed it, you know, this, this yeah. sort of like comic scenes being 
I don't know. I don't want to say forced, maybe imposed a little bit on the rest of the plot. And I, I don't know. But having said that, I do think sometimes with horror, you it can be too heavy and too much and too dark. Yeah, and so, absolutely. You do sometimes you know, need just like a little... That's a little thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, well, then you... So then you... And you do keep coming back to this because there's multiple shots of it where they come back to this of suffocated Claire in the rocking chair. I mean, yeah. it happens a few times. In fact, there's a scene where the cat is kind of like licking her remember yeah, that? trying to like get the bag off her face or like trying to wake her up or i mean yeah. if, it that, if it was well if it was binks anyway she would probably be trying to eat me at this point but... that's i thought he was trying to eat the dinner yeah <laughs> i was getting that vibe but well, okay. the cat was trapped in the attic like, cats forget they've been fed about 30 seconds after you fed them so like, one like of i'm hungry looking at me like i've never been fed before mother why won't you feed me actually hiding behind some shelves and looking at peering out like he's in a little cat jail I'm like Casper, you literally put yourself stop in. starving your cats jenny i know i'm terrible but yeah so um we go back to jess and she's ringing her boyfriend peter who i hate peter he is like such a prick and basically don't get me fucking started on peter yeah now, now, I do think that they intentionally in this film set him up as a red herring. Oh, absolutely. And we'll talk more about that, too. So I don't think he's meant to be a character that you like. No, oh no, 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 no. Jesus. Still, even so, like, even I was just, even from the first phone call, I'm like, fucking prick. Um, oh, yeah, she's yeah. Kind of, she wants to talk to him because basically you, you find out she, she's pregnant. Peter's her boyfriend. She's pregnant. She doesn't want to keep the baby. You know, she is fully intending on getting an abortion um which is her right yes and has only been her right for a year if i'm i mean i don't know my american history that well but Mm -hmm. it's only a year after it was fully legalized and of course there's some massive stigma attached to it you know which and and he and he preys on that throughout the film he gives her every bullshit you know but yeah what is she doing with this scruffy haired selfish hippie pianist jerk yeah, he's, he's a boyfriend. concert pianist, or he's trying Ugh. to be a concert. He's, he's at the conservatory at the university. And he's obviously way older as well, because he says in the film that he's been at the conservatory for eight years. So he's got to be like 30, and she's probably in her early 20s. Um, well, really, if you think about it, when you go to university, you're not in your early 20s. You're usually 18 till 21. Hmm. So, I mean, if she's a senior... Maybe she's 21, huh? I thought you did four years in America. It is. So 18, 19, 20, and 21. So oh, I right. Mean, okay, okay, yeah. You, and sometimes you go, because I didn't, I went in at 17 because I was a summer baby and blah, blah, blah. So yeah. I graduated early. So she may, like, I would put her at maybe 20. Yeah. Like, even the drinking, I was kind of thinking about this too. Like, I can't remember when the, the age changed because it did used to be younger. But of course, you can still get alcohol at college. Yeah. Everybody does. So, I mean, I, you're right. She's probably significantly younger than him. Yeah. Yeah. Eight um, years. And, the guy, t- and in real life, the guy who played Peter in the film, I mean, he was older than I am now when he was playing. He was 38. Yeah. And he, and he, it's not one of these cases where he looks a lot younger. Like, no, definitely no. not. No. no. So, yeah, <laughs> Jess is pregnant. She wants, but she hasn't told Peter yet. She's trying to get him over. And he's like, oh, I've got an exam. I haven't slept in days. He's just being a, a jerk about it, basically. Oh, um, God. Every time he's a jerk, an yeah. angel loses its wings. Yeah. And eventually, like, they meet up and she tells him, and he's like, he's so happy. He's like, it's amazing. 
he's so happy that she's she's pregnant and she's like oh no no I'm, I'm not keeping it and he's like first of all he gets really angry with her and starts shouting at her and things and then he's like we'll talk about it later I'll I'll see you at the house at like nine o'clock um and we go back to the house and I think it's Jess but we get another one of these obscene phone calls and at this point you start getting a bit weird because his phone calls one of the things that this like weird guy is saying is like, where did you put the baby? And he starts talking about a baby. So See, I thought he was saying, where's the body? Oh, no, okay, the, the baby. Because he's saying Agnes and he's giving all these names. Like he mentions Agnes and Billy and he's almost got two different, he's Billy. Two different, two different voices, but he yeah. talks about Billy and like the third yeah, person. Because so. he, yeah, he, 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 he's, he's Billy. And yeah, he's done something from, from what you gather from the, the the kind of conversations it's almost like he's he's billy and there was a baby called agnes and he's done something to it and you hear like because like i'm sorry mother and you hear like sudden like his weird woman voice like what did you do with the baby billy what did you do with the baby where's where's the baby and yeah so, you start hearing all this stuff about the baby and she's pregnant and she's only told peter i think at this point and she's just like what wait what like yeah and and she's told peter in person bear in mind so there's no way supposedly that this caller or this person but you don't know and this is what i mean about setting peter up as the the villain here you know and the and they and they allude to it more and more as it goes on but definitely Um, and then we get to like claire's dad has gone to the party and she's in like barb is hammered and things and it's like okay Claire's nowhere but they but out. they go to find Chris which is one of my favorite parts yeah, Chris is the guy that Claire was dating um, that was her kind of boyfriend yeah and he is super super extra Canadian and he is playing hockey yeah but I love <laughs> the fact Jess. that like because they've been to the police station already and the police Claire's dad's been to the police station the police just don't give a shit fucking police and, which is when just- Barb when Barb's like, oh, because um, the policeman's like, oh, well, what's what's the what's the phone number for the sorority house? And she's like, Felicio. And he's like, what? And she, oh, it's a new exchange. And then gives a number because this guy's not taking her seriously. Her or, you know, I think it's her, Phil and, and Claire's dad, Mr. Harrison. So yeah. then they go, then Jess goes to find Chris, Claire's boyfriend, who's from the town. And yeah, she, he's playing hockey and he comes off and, and she's like, no, he's missing. Claire's missing. No one's seen her. The police, And he's like, well, why haven't you been to the police? Which we did. And they didn't take her seriously. And he obviously knows the detectives because he like storms into the police station in his amazing fur coats. Thank you for mentioning that coat. I have yeah. notes about that coat. That is a yeah. magnificent coat. Yeah. And also just the seventies fashion in this film, I'm living yeah. for it. Mm-hmm. You've got an opening scene, you've got Barb's big velvet choker. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Jess is wearing this sweater with like kind of two hands on it yeah. with a big, like with a collared shirt underneath with the lapels popping out. Very seventies. Yeah. I was living, living for like all We have one of the girls we see at the party at the beginning has like feathered, blonde feathered hair. And like the guys yes. have like big afros and yeah. It's and those cool. big, those big like Roy Orbison glasses. Yeah, yeah. yeah love like, it, all of it. And yeah, and he he goes into the police station and he's like Ken, who's the detective, not the guy who Sergeant Hawks or the guy who was useless that Barb all gave him. All of them were useless, really. Yeah. If we, if we... Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's he's and he's like, well, why didn't you take this seriously? And then at this point, a woman's come to the police station and said that her thirteen-year-old girl is missing. A 13-year-old yes. daughter went for band practice at school, was supposed to be back by lunchtime, 
no one's seen her none of her friends have seen her she she didn't arrive and when the detective realizes that there's also a sorority girl you know college student missing he's like well did you not think this was important to the guy on the desk and he was like no not really so yeah at this point the detective gets like Claire's dad in and they're taking all the statements and trying to figure it all out and while this is happening we've got Peter thank playing- you I was I was so afraid you were gonna skip the scene oh no no <laughs> Peter in his is his exam. What the fuck was that? What the fuck? And listen, I like jazz. Okay, I can handle. Supposed to be. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It was so. I wrote in my notes. I'm like, Peter's piano playing is hectic? Question mark. It's like it looks (laughs) like he's orgasming while he's playing the piano, and it sounds horrific. And bear in mind, he's been practicing nonstop for three days. Yeah. And, and this is what been, it sounds like. Yeah. And he's been playing, like he's been playing in the conservatory for eight years. The dude <laughs> played piano. And it's like, just because, and the thing is, it's not like he's so distraught about you know, his girlfriend wanting an abortion that he just can't play. He is playing, <laughs> oh, but it just playing. sounds like someone throwing a piano down a flight of stairs. <laughs> it's like if Animal from the Muppets was playing the piano. He was just like, <laughs> like beating on the keyboard. And you just see like the examiner's faces, like what? <laughs> the three of them are just sitting there like <laughs> that scene killed me. I know. I was like, Andy, if I got because like I, I went to a gig on in Manchester on Friday night. I went to see uh, Ash Nico and one of my ears popped when we were traveling through on the train. And it hasn't popped back. So my hearing's a bit off at the minute. And I was like, has my hearing completely gone? Like, <laughs> like, and he was like, no, no, it is really that bad. <laughs> and he's been practicing for three days, which like, that's the best part for me. Like, this is the best he could come up with. Eight years, three days of practicing. He's just beating on the piano. So, hey, does Peter pass his exam? I don't know. I would no, say probably not. No, <laughs> because he then smashes the piano up, doesn't he? He does, yes, in a sort of rage. Like, and like pianos are expensive, especially like grand pianos like that. Like, well, I'm sure that wasn't even his piano to no, be smashing up. It probably like belonged. 70s, I imagine that was thousands of dollars. Yeah. And he just goes nuts and completely smashes it up. But just acting unhinged, which again sort of harks back to this idea of them trying to, you know, oh yeah, Peter as the. But in true scream fashion, it is almost always the boyfriend. Yep. Yeah, true. By this point, there's a, there's a search party going on for the little girl. Janice. Her name's yeah, Janice. Janice. Yeah. Because yeah. mm-hmm. like, her mum's like, oh, she would have been walking through this park. So they've got the sorority girls have gone and like some of the townspeople are there. And you've got, you know, dog, police dogs, and you've got snowmobiles. <laughs> like Rare Exports last week, I still really want to go on a snowmobile. Same, same. Want one. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, they're looking for her body, and then you well, kind of go. They're just looking for anything. They don't know that any of them are dead. Well, because um, I think they're they're also looking for Claire, right? Yeah, it's yeah, kind of like, they're like two girls have gone missing, but that this yeah, is the okay. best place they've got to start. But the thing is, right? If you if someone goes missing, and it's clear that you know there's more than one person gone missing, and they've recently had you know some sexual assaults and things. On, on girls so they know that there is a chance something really bad has happened why basically why at no point in this film does anyone do a full search of the sorority house 
No one goes in the attic. No one goes in the basement. The incompetency of these police is striking because especially at the end. I mean, don't even get me started. Oh my, yeah, yeah. I was raging at the end of this film. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, yeah, yeah, but I think, I do think part of it is that they just don't take it very seriously. And I think, I think having it set at Christmas kind of plays into this a little bit. Like they even say about Claire, they're like, oh, maybe she's shacked up with a guy somewhere. And everyone's kind of like, well, those who know her think it unlikely, which is why I think also Jess goes to get the kind of boyfriend, non-boyfriend Chris. But I don't think they're all that worried, I think, yet, even, even though they should be, of course, like you just pointed out, there's all these other like factors that they're not considering. Yeah. Like the sexual assault or the fact that, it's more than one person missing or that there's well, they haven't reported the obscene phone calls yet, but I mean, well, no, because Jess, Jess does, doesn't she? She does, but she hasn't yet. So I guess. So yeah, they're all searching as the girls are leaving the house to join the search party. Mrs. Mac says, look guys, I'm going, I won't be here when you get back. I'm going to my sister's for Christmas to make sure that you lock up and everything. And yeah, so the rest of the girls go out and then we see Peter watching the house so here's another flag that he's doing yeah. something so while the girls are out and at this point I think I think Barb's at the house um yeah because she's really drunk and she starts shouting at everyone doesn't she before they go in the search party saying you all and think they- it's me you think it's yeah. my fault that this has happened that Claire's missing because yeah because I was sort of that. she was rude to Claire before Claire went upstairs so, so she's sort very of, drunk and they send her to bed very, yeah and she's and yeah they send her up to bed yeah. and then you've got Mrs Mac sort of she's packing getting ready to go and she hears she thinks she hears the cat yeah and and, Cla- and Claude's been missing obviously because he's locked up in the attic so she starts calling for him. And she can like hear him through like the air vents, can't she? And also brilliant use of kind of the creaking of a quiet house. Yeah. They do, they do this quite a lot. And I think just again, with the sound effects, it's just yeah. really, it's, it's really effective. You know, yeah. that it, it just lends that air of sort of paranoia and tension. Is there someone in the house? Is it just an old house creaking, you know? Absolutely. And so yeah. she starts... She starts looking for the cat, which leads her up into the attic where she finds Claire's body. And then when she turns around, there's, I, I didn't really understand. There's a hook. She comes up the ladder and she like pokes her head around because she's looking for the cat. And she's like, oh, this place is, is crazy. Like there's a rocking horse or like a carousel horse. I'm like, why is the sorority house got a carousel horse upstairs in the attic? I and feel like the, the people who dressed the set were probably like, okay, yeah. what sort of creepy, strange objects can we put in this attic? Exactly. And you see the killer kind of from his, you get a point of view shot of him watching Mrs. Mack poking her head up and he's holding a hook on a bit of rope and he's like breathing and she turns around, sees Claire, kind of screams, realizes there's someone behind her, turns around and it's like a winch because it's connected to ceiling on like reels it's like a, a winch to pull stuff up I mean, why do houses often have winches in their attic I don't know but I know like- that well that's why I mean I thought it was so strange because yeah. the only thing I could think is that maybe maybe it was for when people move in like yeah, you- like lifting their stuff up into the attic maybe and or it to, hooks or you have thing. to bring the couch through the window instead yeah, of the door exactly. so uh, uh, yeah um and she gets hooked. She gets hooked in the face. Yeah, and he like winches her body into the attic, and it's 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 closed. 
And that is the end. Death number two and the end of Mrs. Mrs. Mack. Mack. R.I.P. Um, and so now, now you've got two bodies in the attic. Yeah, and then the killer goes nuts and smashes up the attic, screaming and crying, whilst rocking Claire's body still in the chair. Yes, which which I didn't really understand. But but again, one of the things that we've talked about being so brilliant with this killer is that you've got all this kind of like backstory that's never explained. And I love that. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I do. It's great. And also we've just seen Peter smash up, you know, have like a bit of a, a very emotional response to something. And we've seen Peter outside the house and then Mrs. Mac dies. And yeah, it, it's all going a bit mad. We go, we go back to the park at this point to the, the search party and a girl's screaming because she's come across the body of the 13 year old girl. But what I love about this scene is they don't show you anything but the reactions so yeah, first you see the reaction see, yeah. you, you see the reaction of mr of mr harrison then eventually the the poor mother who's yeah. looking for her daughter comes over and you see her react i mean brilliant reactions from the actors first of all and so but you know you don't even hear or learn what they've yeah. seen until yeah. like five ten minutes later jess has left the search party just before this because she's like i've got to go meet peter at the house i'm already late so she comes in and the phone's ringing and she mm-hmm. picks up the phone and it's another one of these phone calls and it's a screaming man. Like he's screaming, like, help me. And then he's like, Billy, I know what you did to me. And yeah, he's like shouting and shouting. And then and I actually wrote, I actually wrote ick because it was yeah. so disturbing. Yeah. It gave it me makes your skin crawl. Bumps. It does. It makes yeah, your skin it's, crawl. It's, yeah. it's awful. And um, also I did, I did, I'm, I'm curious if you notice this because this is the first time that I really noticed that underneath this phone call, they've brought in this discordant piano sounds, which yeah. I don't think they've done before. And obviously this is a massive link to Peter and they're really like, yeah, laying it on thick here. The fact that he's, he's potentially the killer, but yeah. I hadn't noticed it prior to that scene. No, did I you? haven't either. Um, so maybe that's the first time they did it then. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think you're right because as soon as the call ends, kind of Peter appears behind Jess. Yeah, and then he's there. Yeah, like, you know, almost like, how did you get in the house? And he's just like, oh, I came in and I've just been sleeping upstairs waiting for you. And then these two have like this massive fight because Peter's basically like, I want to leave the conservatory. We're going to get married and we're going to have a baby. And she's like, no, I don't want to marry you. I don't want to have this baby. She's like, I've worked so hard. I'm not giving up all my dreams and goals just because your plans have changed. And he's like, you're, and he's like, don't you, don't you, you'll regret it if you kill my baby. You'll regret it. And just, I love it. Oh, she's you'll like, be sorry. Yeah. You can't tell me what to do with my body. Is essentially, she's like, you can't tell me what to do. You, you know, I love it. A modern woman for the times. Yeah, yeah I love her. absolutely. And yeah, and, and Peter goes off, and then she is this. She reports the phone calls at this point. Well, this is also where you kind of find out that the little girl in the park is dead. This is the yeah. first like time you hear the actual news. Obviously, you yeah. know something happened because you've seen everyone's reactions, but I don't remember if Peter said it or somebody says it. And then, yeah, and again, underneath, you've got this ticking clock and these kind of bells chiming in the background. And, yeah. you know, the it's all kind of underneath, again, with these, these very everyday kind of mundane sound effects, but they really heighten the feeling in the yeah. film the, the tension yes partially but also just again this feeling like it's christmas and it's meant to be this kind of cozy you know 
safe again this idea that it's a safe time you're surrounded by family and loved ones like what what bad things can happen absolutely yeah so Jess phones the police and she's reporting that she's getting these obscene phone calls and the detective what's his name again detective I don't know Holmes or something Graham Holmes or I never whatever I didn't write that guy's name the down, one but... who was actually doing something I mean, he still wasn't great. <laughs> the absolute but, least. He's doing yeah. the absolute least. But at least he, he is doing something. He's the something. one that keeps saying, like, don't... So, basically, these girls have gone missing and you don't think it's important that we kind of look into this. And then Jessica phones up and she's reporting to Nash about the seeing phone calls. And he's like, oh, well, we're really busy. And the detective overhears it and it's like, oh, don't you think, you know, a, a little girl's been murdered, a girl from the sorority house is missing, and now the girls at the house are getting obscene phone calls. Do you not think this is worth looking into? And this is where we get the whole bit where he gives he gives them the uh, the sorority house number that Barb gave him earlier, and they're all laughing because they're like fellatio, and Nash has no idea. And then he's like, "Oh, I get it. It's something dirty, isn't it?" <laughs> and again, this part for me, I was like, "Is this landing? Is this you know helping the sort of plot to move along? Is this good for pacing?" I'm not sure. I don't. No. I don't know. But no. I, 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 I just really wasn't sure. think that part was particularly important. We then see Peter again watching the house from behind a tree. We see we go back to the attic and there's now like a doll, a creepy like porcelain doll on Claire's lap. And she's still got the plastic over her face. And, and, he's, and he's rocking her rocking again. Her killer, making like her. really weird noises. And we get like a point of view shot after this of him climbing down the ladder and going into Barb's room where she's asleep. She's like passed out because she's drunk. And she has like all these really beautiful, like crystal glass figurines. There's like a unicorn with a massive horn and like swans and things. And it's like, okay, this is a bit weird. And then Jess is downstairs and suddenly the Barb starts screaming or like making weird noises. So Jess runs into her room and Barb's having an asthma attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jess wakes her up, she's like, it's okay, it's okay, and gives her her inhaler. And she's like, oh, I must have been having a nightmare. I dreamt a stranger was in my room. And then she just falls asleep straight away again. And then we have these kids singing carols outside. So Jess goes downstairs and leaves Bob. But wait, wait, you forgot that there's actually, there's a obscene call. Like again, here. Okay. Yeah. And this is where you get like the two voices. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. They And then you get two voices having a wart removed and it's almost like a replay of their argument yeah yeah you do get that um oh that, that's that's a little bit later but only just because oh, okay. the whole thing is what they try to say later on is the, there's an obscene phone call after each murder well because also bear in mind that they, i believe they've arrived to put the tap on the phone not the quite not quite because barb's still alive spoiler alert at this point, because because <laughs> Jess goes downstairs to deal with the carolers, and while the carolers are singing and Jess is watching them, they drown out the noise of spoiler alert, my favorite death of the film, where the killer kill, stabs Barb with the glass unicorn. With the glass unicorn horn. Yeah. I did actually write that. I was like, yeah. is it a glass sword? No, it's a unicorn. <laughs> it's a unicorn. Yeah, and, and and Jess is kind of watching the kids. And I even remember, like, why are the kids out unsupervised after, you know, one of their peers has just been found dead in the park? Oh, yeah, it's the 70s. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's the 70s. But, and, they, and, and the song that they're singing, the carolers are singing, Come All Ye Faithful. Yeah. It's really, like, 
hymn-like version of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, which covers up the sound of Barb being stabbed to death. Yeah. And also, I did think in this scene that they made the killer, because you did kind of see it's very shadowy and dark. I feel like they're really excellent with the light play with the killer and, and sort of obscuring his yeah. identity. But he looked like Peter, I feel. The yeah, little kind of get this, like eye and like feathered, dark feathered yeah. hair. Yeah. That's, that's as much as you see of him in the entire film. And he's calling Barb Agnes. Agnes? Yes. Agnes. Yes. And then he then he kills yes. her with the uh with the, the unicorn. unicorn. Um <laughs> yeah, and then and then you get the phone call where Jess picks it up and it's a obscene phone call. And he's like, Oh, it's just like having a wart removed. And this yes. is first time, yeah, the police have tapped the phone now when she gets this phone call because she's like, wait, what? Because she realizes that's what Peter said to her. Um, when they were talking about having an abortion so she now thinks she's like is it peter and i think phil's there with her yeah because the, the detective's back at the police station listening in and you see this shadow while they're on the, then peter rings and he's crying and he's like he says you know the baby you know you can't do this to me you can't just the, don't this. hurt the baby he yeah says. exactly uh, and while and phil's stood with her like trying to make sure she's okay and you see the shadow behind them moving Mm-hmm. there's someone behind them which i thought was really really well shot really well shot yeah. yeah and even again just kind of going back to this you've got this the house is dark you've got the christmas lights you've got the fire crackling in the background you've got the again you've got this howling wind outside you never really see like it's not snowing you see kind of snow on the ground but they really try and make it sound like you know yeah it's really windy and cold and it, all of it just gives that just atmosphere atmosphere is everything in this film and i just think he absolutely nails it yeah yeah so peter calls and then you get is this when the search party guys yeah like turn up this part was very strange they lost me a little bit here i don't know the two guys from the search party show up knock on the door they're like outside the kitchen window oh yeah 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 scare the crap out of the girls and they, but then they, they opened the door to them. And I was thinking, no, don't open the door. What are you doing? No, no, no. Yeah. And then the guys are like, oh, do you want, do you want us to ch- check the house? We're part of the search party. We're trying to find the killer. And the girls are giggling. This is not a funny situation that you guys are in. And they're giggling. No. And when they close the door, because the guy's like, okay, well, well, we'll be around. There'll be other people from the search party, you know, outside as well. Make sure you lock all your doors and windows. And they close the door and they're like, oh, we'd rather take a chance with the killer. And then they realize that's the, they've just locked the back door and that's the only door or window in the house that's locked. Yes. You have a scene where they're going, they're going around checking all the doors and windows. Mm -hmm. And Phil either sees something or she goes into Barb's room and the killer's still behind the door because she steps in and the door slams. And that's the last we see of, uh, last we see of poor Phil. It was lovely. She was so sweet. She was like worried. She got really upset. She was the only one that really showed empathy towards Claire's dad. I can't. I, can't I know. Remember. Yes. And yeah. I thought that was such a good line to have because it sort of reminds you in a way of the realistic sort of serious reaction to everything that's going on. Because I felt bad for the dad, you know, and yeah. then she says, I think I think Claire's dead. I can just feel it. I think some, something to that effect, she says. Yeah. yeah. Then you have another phone call, I think. And also, can I just say, 70s telephone technology. (laughs) Ace. Absolutely ace. I love the guy 
because they keep kind of flashing between because they've got to keep the killer on the line long enough now yep. this is still true to this day but i yep. think it's something like 15 30 seconds you have to yeah, do yeah, it nowadays now. back this then i feel like they were like we're gonna need a solid 10 minutes could you yep. just keep them on the line like- and that there's a guy literally running through the exchange trying to find the one that's moving and then plugs in to listen to it and exactly. yeah gets, so jess the phone rings jess gets another call and he's like you bitch pig where's the baby and she's just like what the hell is happening she doesn't she doesn't interrupt him in this one she just lets him go yeah but also would you not say that the calls have become increasingly more erratic and, oh yeah absolutely and sort of but crazy man. now you've got multiple voices and and screaming like even more than you did before and so yeah yeah so you're right so she manages to keep him on the on the phone this time and they realize and the calls are coming from inside the house Dun, dun, dun. But this is what I thought was a bit strange because the detectives like right, what was his name? The the, the Nash, the rubbish one. Um, he rings Nash at the station. And he's like, call the house, speak to Jess. Don't tell her that the calls are coming from inside the house. Just tell her to put the phone down and calmly walk outside because at this point, oh, he's also trying to get hold because they've got they've got a police officer outside in the car and they can't get hold of him. And he's like, I'll be yeah. there in five minutes. Just tell her to just, just to stop what she's doing and leave the house. But don't tell her that the calls are coming from inside the house. So Nash calls her. And at first he's like, just, are you, are you the only one in the house? And she's like, no, Phil and Barbara are upstairs asleep. Doesn't realise that they're dead at this point. And he's like, right, you need to, you need to put the phone down and leave the house right now. And she's like, why? What's wrong? And he's like, just do it. She's like, oh, I'll go and wake them up. And he's like, no, you need to leave the house now. And this is when she clicks and she's like, why? And he's basically like, look, the calls are coming. The, the killer's in the house. The calls are coming from inside the house. Fucking Nash. And, he, and he's begging her at this point. He's like, just leave, just leave. And she's put the phone, like, not hung up, but the phone's on the side, I think. He's like, don't go upstairs. She's looking up the stairs because she knows her friends are up there. You can just hear his voice on the phone going, don't, don't go upstairs, Jess. Don't go upstairs. Um, but she does, but she's fairly smart beforehand and picks up, you know, the good old pointy weapon. Fire <laughs> poker. Goes upstairs and she's trying to get into Barb's room and the door won't open. It's like stuck. And she kind of kicks the door open and Phil and Barb are dead on the bed and you see and they've been arranged sort of like yeah they're like holding each other like holding each other which is also another kind of hark over to Halloween where you've got he likes to do the same thing he likes to rearrange his victims Michael Myers and yeah this is when um the killer he's like what's it um Agnes it's me Billy don't tell what we did and she just slams him with the door into the wall. And because doesn't she see his eye? She sees, yeah, his, she sees eye. his eye. And he's like, Agnes, it's me. It's Billy. Don't tell. We can't tell what we did. Um, so he's fully deranged. And mm-hmm. yeah, she doesn't even like hesitate. She just slams him against the wall behind the door and runs. But we've had a few. She runs the, the stairs and he's, you can hear him like crashing coming after her. And throughout the film, Whenever like Mrs. Mac or anyone was coming through the door, the front door keeps sticking. She, Mrs. Mac even says earlier, oh, I've asked maintenance to come, you know, a couple of times to fix this. And now it's locked, all the doors and windows are locked as well because they've locked all the doors and windows and she can't get out. So 
she's running and yeah she's like got him like slammed and he grabs her by the hair through the banister and like pulls her and sends her flying and then she goes down to the basement doesn't she yeah so she got she's hiding from him and she goes into the basement and again you've got this brilliant like light the lighting is just so excellent through all of this like you've got her partially in the shadow you've got the way that the light's coming through the windows into the basement on one wall, but the rest is kind of in the darkness. Yeah. And then you've got, she thinks is the killer and you soon realize it's, is Peter yeah. looking for her. Yeah. So he pops his head through this little window in the basement and he's kind of wiping off the window. So you, and then you see his face, but she's afraid. She thinks he's the killer. Yeah. So she's, well, because, a, she's, like, a, the killer, she's behind the, the, the door. She gets into the basement, shoves the door, locks it. And the killer's like trying to break it down. And then he stops and he walks and away. And you, hear, and you hear the door go, like the front door. Yeah. So it's almost like, and then suddenly Peter appears at the window. So it's very much like in, you know, in Scream where the killer's trying to get her, it disappears. And then suddenly. There's Billy, the boyfriend. The boyfriend appears. Yeah. His name's Billy, isn't it? I can't remember. A boyfriend appears at the window. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's that kind of weird. Um. Yeah, you know, like red herring, basically. Um, yeah, always alluding to the fact that it's Peter. And I think as an audience member, I wonder, you know, kind of back in the 70s, you've seen that there's someone in the attic. Mm-hmm. And then obviously there's all these allusions to, um, I almost said Billy, uh, to Peter as the the killer. Yeah. But if you really are being logical about it, you know, you know that he's not. Yeah, because well, Jess even says because when when she's explaining when the detective's listening into the phone call and after Peter calls and he's like you, know, you can't hurt the baby, and he's like, do you? The, the detective's like, is there something you need to tell me? Because the detective thinks it's Peter, um, and she's like, well, I'm pregnant and I'm you know obviously not keeping the baby, and he's very upset about it. He's an artist. He's you know he's very he's very emotional. Um, he's certainly an artist. <laughs> and then she goes. And then the detective's like has Peter been with you when any of these obscene phone calls were made? And at first she's like, no, and she, oh no, he was, he was here before. It can't be him. And he then feels like, I don't like Peter, but I don't think it's him. But, but, but by the po- point she's in the basement, she's terrified. All of her friends are dead. She's trapped. She hears the killer leave her like behind the door. And suddenly Peter appears at the window, sees her, smashes the window, mm-hmm. climbs yeah. into her. And, and then she, we don't see what happens after that. Right. So you he, he comes in and she's sort of backing away further into the shadows. And then it cuts to the police. Yeah, the police arrive. Finally, um, finally. Like, what, what's yeah, taking them so long? The, uh, but yeah. Detective arrives. They, it was his backup. They find the other policeman that they left outside the house dead. His throat's been slit or something. And you Yeah, brown bread. Mm-hmm. And... The next shot is the police find going into the into the basement, and we have this shot of Jess sat against the wall with her head back, and Peter like lying in her lap, dead. Yeah, um, and Jess is almost kind of almost like catatonic at this point. Um, she can't really say anything, and then we cut to basically the police think Peter was the killer, and they think and uh, and Jess has basically killed him because he's in self defense. And they've put her in her bed upstairs and the, the detective and the doctor sat with her and the detective's like, I really need to speak to her. And the doctor's like, look, I've given her some 
um I've basically I've knocked her out you're not going to be able to speak to her until tomorrow and then they're like oh the press are outside so the detective's like right I'm gonna have to go deal with that so the detective leaves and the doctor's like oh I'll stay the doctor and there's a police officer in the room with Jess and they're like oh we'll stay with her and then Claire's dad's in the room as well and then he passes out so and the doctor's like oh we need to get him to a hospital so the policeman and the doctor carry the Claire's dad down and leave Jess in the bed I'm sorry, this is nuts to me. Yeah. Let's take Mr. Harrison into hospital for shock. Yeah. But they know that Jess is pregnant. They've knocked her out. And, and they're like, we'll just leave her here alone. Yeah, well, I, guess, I don't think any of them She's realize what fine. they're doing. So, like, the detective doesn't want, only leaves to deal with the press to kind of keep them away from Jess. Then Mr. Harrison faints, so the doctor and the policeman are carrying him downstairs to get into a hospital. And then the other police in the house... Are like look we need to take all these bodies to like out of town because our local hospital doesn't have enough room to deal with this many dead people at once and then right. yeah so then jess is they still haven't checked the rest of the house no they, they never checked the rest they which is crazy claire is still claire and mrs max bodies are still up in the attic and basically they haven't checked and they're panning through the house and they've turned the light out in jess's room so she's basically asleep unconscious in her bed alone and you pan out slowly of the house and you realise that there's just a, there's a random person outside that I presume is a police officer, but still. You I know, know, same. They, they weren't very clear about that, but I no. think it was a police and officer. They are, they haven't checked anywhere. And then you get this panning shot from Claire, of Jess in her bed that goes through the hallway up to where the ladder is and up to the attic door. And you hear like the floorboards creeping. And you hear oh, that creak. really Oof. creepy singing, really quiet going, it's me, Billy. And then the, again, we zoom out of the house and there's, it's like the attic and you've got Claire's corpse in the window, still with the bag on her head in the rocking chair. Oh. And oh. That, that shot that you just mentioned, that long panning yeah. shot, brilliant. Because again, yeah. you've got this, you've got the clock ticking, you've yeah. got the wind howling, it's this quiet house where there's she's no, sleeping. There's no background music. They put no, no soundtrack on this apart from, yeah, like the, the, the natural sounds of like the wind and the house. Uh -huh. And then you get the creaking as well. Creaking. Um, and you hear him brilliant. like singing quietly. And yeah, we get this shot of Claire's corpse in the window. Because um, the attic has a window. So anyone in the street should have been able to spot the corpse. And it, sh it pulls out really, really slowly. No music. And we hear the phone ringing. And the phone starts ringing. Yeah. yeah. Fucking and then brilliant. That, that's it. the end of the film. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and, the and, and the credits roll over the phone. And because yeah. this is the 70s, you have the majority of your credits at the beginning of the film, yeah, yeah. which is something they used to do. They don't really do it anymore. And so it's very short. And so the, the, the phone rings for the duration of the credits. Yep. And then it goes to black. Yeah. And the, and the phone brilliant i'm giving all i'm giving all the thumbs up but you can't see me <laughs> i just right. i just i love that ending you get zero explanation yep you get it's completely unresolved her yep. it's ambiguous as to whether or not like does it did the killer let her live because well this, is, why I was, this is my this is my first question do you think jess survives or not i think she survives because i think the killer intentionally didn't kill her i think the killer killed peter i don't think she did I think she probably passed out from shock. So they don't know what's happened because she hasn't told them. So I think that the killer killed the boyfriend, not her. I think, I think she killed Peter. Okay. I think she killed Peter. But with what? With what weapon? With the poker. Okay. She's still got the fire poker. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. 
I think she, she <laughs> that's like quite a savage um like waiting yeah so I think she killed Peter and I think she gets killed at the end because they even say because basically the whole thing is it's like every time someone dies then they get a phone call so after each murder the killer makes a phone call so you see him, you know, we know he's still in the house. He's in the attic. He's still there. But he also, bear in mind, he also made phone calls before he killed anyone, like in the no, beginning. He made phone calls before he killed any of the sorority girls. He's killed, we know he's killed what, one of the other girls, a, a town girl. So Janice, the little girl. Yeah. He's, he's killed her, left her out. Yeah, and, 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 you know, there could have been others that we just don't know about. Yeah. And he's definitely assaulted people. Because there's been a few sexual assaults as well. So, but you're but you're attributing that to him, and that may not be him. That could be somebody else. Because he didn't sexually assault any of his victims that we could tell. Yeah, he rocked them and petted them, but he didn't assault them. Yeah. Well, I, so, I, I mean I, that could because that was also I think a little bit of a way of saying like there's just stuff going on, yeah. and you don't and you don't know, and you've got all these asshole incompetent cops running around like barely being able to do their jobs. No, See, I, I don't know. I, I thought I there was something was. to the fact that it, that sh- that maybe she survived, but I don't know because it is less ambiguous, and I I like that. So yeah, yeah I don't know. I kind of thought probably eventually you would kill her, but I thought at least initially maybe not. Yeah, yeah. And because he talks about a baby and he knows that she's pregnant, maybe there's something to that as well, like the killer knowing that she's pregnant. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. So I, I think I think she dies, but it is it's very, very interesting. Um, but yeah, you, you get no backstory, no reasons, no. no explanation, nothing, which I think is scarier. Absolutely. Than- and also we have, like I said before, this is the first slasher film. It is. I can't think of anything that comes before this. And I remember from my film study days, like people say that Halloween is the first, but actually this came this came before. Uh, but it's just it wasn't as popular, it wasn't as successful as Halloween. It starts off a lot of things that we see in, in, in you know later films. But what I love is the fact that this isn't a masked killer. It's, it's not Michael Myers, it's not Jason, it's not, you know, he's not wearing a mask. He's not, there's no backstory, only what you can kind of pick up from his manic rambling. There's no um, sort of reasoning or explanation offered for why he's chosen this particular sorority house either. We have no idea. Nobody dies after having sex. Um, The only thing we know about about the killer is that he's likely called Billy, which, you know, he is called Billy. Um, See, I always thought that when he was saying Billy, like he was talking, I I didn't clock that that was him. I thought Agnes and Billy were like two people that he... I don't know, knew or imagined or was speaking to. I didn't, I didn't take that as his name was Billy. Yeah, his name, his name is Billy. That's what that's how he's referred to by you know, that's what the characters, that's what the character's called if you look him up. Oh, like in the credits and stuff. Paul, okay. he, he does later on have a bit of a surname. Like if you, if you read, you know, he's referred to in, in in writing as Billy something, but I can't Billy Black, maybe. Okay. I'm not really sure though. Uh, I can't really remember. But yeah, yeah, it's it is it's great that despite the fact it's the first, 
it is different. It's kind of refreshing to go back and watch that it is so different to other films in the genre. Well, one of the things that really struck me about this film, it to me, is that it has so much style. And, and maybe that's easy to say because it's the, the first, quote unquote, the first kind of slasher. And it's been very, very imitated. So, yeah. um, you know, the, but having said that, I still think that it's so, the style of it is so effective in terms of scare factor. Yep. I just, I just think you can't understate that. And I mean, it's never rushed ever. And yep. as I've said in previous episodes, pacing is clearly very important to me. Yep. And I think they really, they really nailed the pacing on this. That's I interesting think- because once we finished watching it last night and me and Andy were talking about it and Andy was like, I'm not sure the pacing works always works for me he's like I imagine Caitlin might have a bit of a problem with the pacing in this as well because I know how important pacing is for her so that's interesting that you liked it well I do think and this is why like we haven't even set our scores yet but I'll I'll say for me this was a solid solid four and a half it just fell shy of five to me because a couple of things and I will say like I take Andy's point about the pacing because like that scene with the police and trying to inject this bit of comedy I do feel like that sort of stilted it a little bit but I mean overwhelmingly I think that you've got these I don't know because even the and the climax bothered me as well a little bit because you don't actually really get a climax you get a payoff yeah. And I think that they are separate things. So you do get the payoff at the end with like the phone call and like the phone ringing rather and just kind of it being left up. You know, you think she dies. I'm thinking maybe she dies later, but I'm not sure. I thought she might be might have lived like, I don't know. I, all of that to me is brilliant. But the actual climax of it, which is where you kind of see Peter coming in, even that part being left ambiguous, I think is quite a clever move. But you don't get a huge you know, dinamo, you don't yeah. get like that big climax. And so, and I think, so that kind of, to me is why I'm taking off sort of half a point or what have you, because I do think there were sort of missed moments. And even like the part where like you find out the call is coming from inside the house. There are ways I think that moment could have been, you could have ratcheted up the terror a little bit with that revelation. Yeah. And instead Bob Clark chose to downplay it, but that is a style choice. And I respect that. So that to me is why I rate it as highly as I do. I absolutely love this film, I have to say. And even in my notes, I wrote, man, that is a good movie. It's just a good movie. You're engaged throughout. You've got character development. You care about these people. I think it was clever to really focus the setting. I mean, really, it all takes place in the sorority house. You have moments in the police station and moments. A little bit in the park, a little bit in the the telephone exchange. But yeah, the majority telephone exchange. But yeah, the vast majority is in the sorority house and, and, and using that, the sorority house in and of itself is almost like a character. So what did you, what did you give it? I'm, I'm interested to know. I gave it a, so am I interested to know? I can't remember. I gave it, did I say last week Holly's were, were half? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was your Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. So I gave it four and a half, four Christmas trees and a holly leaf. So for you, like, what what would you say? Like, why did you take off kind of half a point? And that um, seems so. It seems so such a small thing, but it's like you know, it's you very rarely have a perfect film, right? So to me, I'm just sort of interested what your takeaway was. I think so. The bits that lost it for me a little bit. I I, I noticed my 
attention going a little bit in like the police station part. So I think it was just those bits just lost me a little bit. Um, even the part like I agree with you because that part where the, the the two search party guys come to the door I mean to me you could have cut all that yeah that didn't that didn't really add anything it, it didn't add because I unlike you I don't hate you know I quite like horror comedy um I think it can work quite well if it's done right and and this wasn't horror comedy to me it was just horror so what I found was rather than being like scared 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 or like you know tense 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 and then having these little dips which sometimes are quite nice to have um where you kind of almost reset so that then you can feel that like tension building again which which is what I quite like with with some of them this just felt like oh wait what's happening why why are we like the dialogue wasn't particularly great in those scenes Mm-hmm. yeah yeah agree whereas yeah. you know the, the the bits of black comedy that wasn't there like the mrs mack lines and things like that i thought worked great agree yeah yeah but yeah i just i just lost it a little bit um i don't have the best attention span you know i do have like adhd so i, I do struggle a little bit and yeah those were the point like there was a few parts where i'm like having to i had to remind myself i'm like oh no i'm watch. i need to be taking notes not you know, I was like, oh, I'm looking at pop-ups on my phone right now. Um, and I had to kind of remind myself to come back to it whilst they were talking about f- laughing at Nash and his... Oh, the felicity, yeah. yeah. Felicity yeah. Was, and that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm like, eh. But, you know, product of its time a little bit. It was, it was the first film of its kind. And yeah, so I do think it's really important. At first I gave it a four from like a personal level but yeah it's a solid four for me um yeah. and, then I was, and then I was like thinking about it and how influential and how important it was and that that added the half for me but it's not going to be up there you know like my fives are you know the exorcist, exorcist. I just I, I can't put it with that I can't put it with them to be a solid five yeah, no, same. And I, but then I think about all the things that it got so so right. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and, and this is, and again, I'm sort of repeating my the, the lighting, the sound, and uh, the music choices, the, the sound effects, the the choice, the choices the director made, the acting, you know, fantastic, all of it. Yeah, the ambiguity of the end, not knowing the why of the killer. I mean, the, it's a scary film. I yeah. I think it's scary. Yeah. And I think they really they play on the vulnerability um, of a bunch of women in a house alone, you know, sort of, especially in the 70s when maybe women weren't taken so seriously on their own. Like, I thought it was interesting that it took Chris coming into the police office, guns blazing to be like, why aren't you doing anything about this before the cops bothered to care? And you've got to think, so it's like, you know, the 70s, mid 70s, you've got a bunch of co-eds. You know, this is like Ted Bundy era. you know, there was a, there was a few a few prolific serial killers in in that time that w- did make like obscene phone calls and and did attack you know college women and and things like that. So I can imagine it played quite well into a lot of the you know fears and topics and themes that were on a lot of people's minds back at you know at the time that it came out. Absolutely. And, and even the obscene phone call thing, right? Like you at the beginning, you said, have you ever had one? Yeah, I have. I think most yeah. women, most people even have at one point or another, especially if you're of a certain age when you had 
landlines, yep. you know, have absolutely encountered that. And so it's sort of, it's relatable in that sense. Could I get an obscene phone call? Sure. Could there be a killer hiding in my attic? Sure. And so, and so that. Not in my attic. <laughs> I'd be impressed. And that, and that brings the terror as well. The fact yeah. that this could, this could happen to me. And yeah. so I don't know. I, I really love this film. It is excellent. I'm, yeah have i'm really glad that we covered the, it have you seen any of the remakes i think i saw the 2006 version but way back um because i really don't re- remember much about it at all i i don't i can't imagine that they're very good no um no i might watch them one day but yeah not really the only yeah, i mean i would is that there's a book coming out next year oh, i saw that yeah they novelized it no, no, no. Oh, no. This is a, an academic book about the three Black Christmas films that's been written with, like, oh, I see. with you know, just oh, okay. surviving, like, camera people and, and that from the, from the original. And, you know, it documents the making of the two remakes as well. And it's got bits. So I might watch it because that sounds like an interesting book that I'd quite like to read. So I might end up watching the two remakes at some point, just, just in context of the book. So, yeah, I am. I might give it a go. But, yeah, I haven't seen them not at all so. and I don't I don't know what kind of ratings they have or anything like that but I I always think that re remakes or reboots are tricky and when you're dealing with source material like this where I think part of its success was the era in which it was made like you said yeah. it's definitely a product of its times and it was the first of its kind and so or one of the first we, we reckon I think that makes it, it even more challenging so yeah. I I'm always very wary of these types of things. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm not a remake hater, but I can't say that I've ever gone out of my way to watch them. I'm trying to think what remakes... I mean, you, you know, some of the best horror films are remakes. You look at John Carpenter's The Thing and, you know, The Fly. The Fly's a remake. The Thing's a remake from, like, yeah, yeah. old school, like, 50s films. And yeah, John Carpenter's The Thing is one of the best horror films ever made. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I think in terms of like I think about the new It movies versus the TV series. Some of that I think has to do with sort of how technology has advanced. But I mean, in order to show some of these things that are in Stephen King's imagination, but there's nothing scarier than the novel, and I'll always say yeah. that because there's nothing scarier than your own imagination. And when you're reading something, all of those visuals come from you. Yeah, and your deep rooted, deep rooted fears within yourself, and so nothing will ever beat that. And I love horror n- novels for that reason. But yeah, so having said all of that, wherever you are this holiday season, hope you're with loved ones and having a good time. Yeah, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, Merry Kwanzaa. What yep. am I missing? Um, I don't know. I can't remember. Um, I mean, Free for all my, all my fellow pagans out there, like happy winter solstice and merry winter Yule. solstice. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you. As always, hit us up. And we love you and thank you for listening. Yes, thank you. Merry Christmas. All right, brothers, kegs, take us out. Bye. Bye.